about it's always been about Christ in me, the hope of glory, the one who gave me life, the one who saved me and cleaned me up and set me free, who continues to work on me to make me better as I yield myself to him. And I'm here first off to declare to you, I am nothing without him. I am nothing without him, but through Christ Jesus, I can do all things. So whoever you are in this room, I don't know all of your names, but I want you just to kind of take a deep breath and then drop your shoulders and let that breath out. Take the pressure off, the distractions out, everything the enemy has tried to lie to you about even today, even tonight as you walked into this place that I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, you don't know what my past was, you don't know what I came from, and tonight I just want you to breathe again. I just want you to realize that when you accepted Christ, you became a new creation. He set you free, and he said, now my hand is on you. Now my plan is activated and I will do what I can do if you will allow me to do it and I'm so thankful for the power of a mighty God who cleaned me up who set me free who is my confidence and who is my living hope and that's why I stand before you tonight any opportunity I've ever had, God gave it to me. I'm humbled by it because if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, if it wasn't for the power of Jesus, if it wasn't for his confidence and power in me, I would be nothing. And ladies, I've come to challenge you this weekend that there is more. As I sat on that front row through the singing and the worship, through, through the spoken word, I felt the Holy Spirit drop a word on me of acceleration. I, I don't know how much time we have left. I think we're seeing a lot of signs of the end. We're seeing a lot of craziness that I don't know. I think we all read about it in the Bible. But we were hoping like we wouldn't see this much of it already. But what I know is whatever time God's given me left here on earth. Oh, I want more. I want more of him and less of Amy. I want more of him and less of this world. I want more of God. And if you came in this room tonight to say, just stand with me because we're going to read some word. If you came with me in this room tonight and you just say, go ahead and raise your hand. I want more, God. I want whatever you have for me. Whatever you have for me. I come against every distraction. Every hindering spirit. Anything that would try to distract me from the word and what you want to do in me, God, I want more. And then just say it, ladies. I, well, God, I got to have more. I've got to have more, God. And it starts now. It starts now. This is my time. This is my season. This is the anointing of God that will fall in this place to propel me forward. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. I want us to look at the word. I'm speaking a word to you now. You see it on the screen. I'm going to read a scripture of stand for just a moment. On Jeremiah, we're going to start with Jeremiah. But it's called, I'm in the process. And I tell you, there's not a woman in this room yet that you have arrived. You know how I know you haven't arrived? Because you're not in heaven. 
every one of us, no matter when you got in this thing, if you just got saved or you've been in it 45 years, 20-something years, 50 years, God said, I've got my hand on you and I'm not done with you yet. So I want us to look at a Bible story that illustrates this before we get to the points. So if you'll turn to Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. I love the tapestry theme. It ties in with this. I love that my sister pointed out that when we see this beautiful piece of artwork, when you go to behind the scenes of that artwork, look it up. It says there's a bunch of threads, loose threads, knots, mess, uh, all different kind of things that have happened in the back part of that tapestry. But when you turn it over, all you see is the beauty that God has created. And can I tell you, every one of you in this room, you have a story. You have a background. You have a mess. There's some things that have been in knots. There's some things that have been messed up. But God says, it's okay, I've got you. I'm in the process of doing something beautiful with your life just keep following just keep following Jeremiah 18 I feel the Lord so I'm gonna have to stick to my notes here I'm gonna get here Jeremiah 18 1 through 6 the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying arise and go down to the potter's house and there I'm gonna cause you to hear my words then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he had made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? And I want to say tonight, oh, woman of God, can I not do with you as this potter says the Lord? Look as the clay is in the hands of the potter. So are you in my hands, oh, house of Israel. I'm going to say it again. Look as the clay is in the potter's hand. So are you in my hand, O oh woman of God. Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray a fresh anointing on this word. God, I pray that the word will come forth and accomplish everything that you sent it forth to accomplish. Open up our hearts. Open up our ears. God, let us receive. Let us grow. Let us be stretched. And let us leave here different than we came in. God, anoint me with a fresh anointing. Let speaking be easy, God. Effective, powerful through your anointing. In Jesus' mighty name we pray amen and amen you may be seated now this is a wonderful story in the bible where God wanted to give an illustrated sermon to his prophet Jeremiah Jeremiah's assignment was not an easy one Jeremiah pronounced God's judgment upon the people of this time for their wickedness God's always going to have a prophet who's going to try to get his word forth. He was concerned especially with the false and insincere worship and failure to trust God and national affairs. I could stop right there. Listen what he was concerned with. False and insincere worship 
and failure to trust God in national affairs. That's helping somebody right now. He denounced social injustices. His message was one of hope and warning. The Israelites were getting away from their destiny and God was trying to call them back. God instructs Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house. The Lord wanted to speak to him. He had a word that was important and needed to be received. He wanted to take him out of his normal environment to show him something, to speak to him specifically. So God sent him to the potter's shed to observe him working with the clay. You see that on the screen. He wanted him to see the potter, see the process, see what was taking place. God wanted Jeremiah to understand his way with Israel and summon God's people to conversion. They had gotten away from the main thing. They were saying a lot of religious noise, but their hearts were far from him. And there are times that God will invite us to step away from normal routines and schedules of life to speak to us specifically. He will ask us to visit the potter's shed, to go to the mountain, to retreat from the noise, to stay at the brook, to go to the wilderness, or to register from a women's conference. Just so that we can hear something fresh or experience something brand new. What God speaks to us may be for us personally, or it might be so that we can go forth and encourage and warn and give hope to others. Jeremiah 18 invites us to see God as an artist. The image of God being an artist is not new in scripture. We see it when he knit us together. We see it with the tapestry. We see it all through the word of God. In Genesis 2, 7, God first shapes clay, sculpting and forming humankind from the dust of the earth, from dirt. You ever wonder why he formed us from dirt? Because all our glory, all our worth came from him. And we were just dirt. We were just a lump of clay until he breathed the breath of God into us. As God's hands needed us and smoothed the moist dirt, God breathes life into his creation. He declares this, my work is very, very good. And in ancient world, pottery was everywhere, everywhere. People used clay jars for storing and cooking. They used clay tiles for roofs. They used clay bricks to line their ovens. They used clay figurines for decorations and even for toys. And the potter was one of the most important craftspeople in the community. God is preparing Jeremiah for an object lesson by revealing God's word using pottery as an example. And the people would be reminded of this lesson every time they looked at a clay jar. You understand me? He knew the times. He knew, the, he knew that pottery was at clay was everywhere. And this would be in their mind as a vivid example. There were two kinds of potter's wheels. One was known as a slow wheel and the other is a fast wheel. The fast wheel has a large circular stone parallel to the ground near the potter's feet and a small circular stone rather like a circular tabletop near the potter's hands. The two stones would be connected by a vertical shaft. The potter would push the large bottom stone with his feet causing it to rotate and the top stone connected by that shaft to the large stone would rotate at the same. Same speed. And if you don't understand any of that, I hope you got the visual. 
And as Jeremiah watches, the potter determines that the clay piece on the potter's wheel is unsatisfactory. It's not right. So he reworks the clay into another vessel. We don't know what the defect was in the original piece. It could have been that the clay was too wet or dry. It could have been that there was a small stone or other foreign object embedded in that clay. Whatever the problem, the potter must destroy the imperfect piece before forging the clay into a new piece. He must take the imperfect piece in both hands and crumble it so that it becomes a lump of clay again. You said, Amy, why would he take something that was already solid and turn it back into this? It's because when it became clay again, it was pliable. When it became clay again, he could do something with it. You know, as long as it thought it was all that already. As long as it thought I look good already, I'm already there, I've already arrived. He couldn't work with that. So he had to get it back to a substance that he could work with again. So whatever the problem, he begins to work that lump of clay in both hands until it had a smooth consistency. He might need to add water to make it more pliable or add clay to give it structural integrity. Only after this careful preparation can he begin to create a new, more perfect vessel. It is important to note that the potter does not throw away the imperfect piece into a pile of rejects never to be seen again. The clay is still usable, so the potter begins what appears to be a destructive process, but is really a creative process. The potter is doing this to the clay in order for it to be fashioned as a usable and pleasing vessel. Somebody say, I want to be a pleasing vessel. This is a powerful illustration of how God uses and continues to work in our lives, molding us and making us after his will. I remember being a young girl, I used to sing a song called, He's Still Working on Me. Anybody remember that song? To make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Anybody else in the room? He's still working on you. I'm here to declare to you tonight that I'm in the process. We're all in the process. It doesn't matter how long or short you've been on this journey. Paul says in Philippians 3, 12 through 13, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. When Paul is describing this process of not arriving at a goal, he is essentially saying that there is always more through Christ. There is more for us to accomplish. There is room for us to grow. God has created us for more. Paul realized that he, like Joseph, was in God's training process and had not arrived at the ultimate destination yet. In fact, so many great men and women of the Bible had to trust the process that God had them on, getting them ready for their destiny. Moses did not have hum the humility to lead the entire Israelite nation yet. Esther did not have the courage she needed to save her people yet. 
And the disciples of Jesus did not have the faith to build God's church and change the world yet. They were all in the process. And can I tell you, ladies, sometimes we don't like the process. But if we look at the word of God, we see how God dealt in other people's life to make them what they needed to be. A process is a series of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end. I'm going somewhere. I'm not there yet, but I'm going somewhere. God has me in the process. We are all in the process of becoming the pleasing and usable vessels that God has called us to be vessels of honor. I like that. Vessels of honor. God has a plan. He has a path. And he has a purpose for each of our lives. He knows that there's some things that need to happen before we can fully step into all that he has for us. And we have to be willing to go through the process to get to our destiny. I want you to turn and look at your neighbor and say, I'm in the process. I want you to turn and look at your other neighbor and say, I'm still in the process. And I want to give you about four things here that we have to do in this process. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help me. Number one, you have to trust the potter in the process. Isaiah 64, 8 says, but now, oh Lord, you're the, you are the father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. Jeremiah was told by the Lord to go to this potter's house. He, he had probably most likely seen this potter before. He was familiar with the work of pottery because we already said it was common in that day. In fact, there are 30 references to this skill in conveying spiritual truth in the word of God. But on this this particular day, it was different for Jeremiah. This day, God was preaching to him. And at the potter's will, we see the potter's ability. Not everyone can make a piece of clay into something desirable. An even smaller number of people are able to create a piece of artwork that is sought after by museums and collectors. The potter is a man of ability. At the potter's will, we also see his sovereignty. That will is the potter's universe in a sense, and he is in complete control of what is taking place. I'm here to let it, somebody know you're worried, you're afraid, you don't understand what happened this week, you don't understand what happened two years ago, and God said, I'm in complete control. I am a God of supernatural ability, and I've got you. The speed of the will, the shape into which the clay is molded, all these things are completely subject to God, to the potter. These are valuable lessons for Jeremiah to learn and valuable lessons for us. Because the potter that Jeremiah was learning about was not just an ordinary potter. The master potter in this sermon was not the man in the shop that he was watching. He was the one that was speaking to Jeremiah and showing him what he was capable of doing. The master potter we know is the Lord. He has an infinite ability and sovereignty in all things. But in our humanness, anybody human in the room? We tend to get frustrated when we don't get results immediately. The truth is that the process is essential and everyone needs to go through that process to get the right results. But will you trust the potter 
in the process. Verse 4 says the vessel that he made of clay was spoiled or marred and he was not happy with it. He thought he was almost finished. It was almost complete. You thought you were almost there. And that's the problem. Because many of us, you were halfway into what you thought you would have. But God stepped on the scene and changed the plan. Oh, you were in love. You had picked out just the right house. You had chosen just the right occupation. And you, you were making your own plans. Oh, I'm there. And a few years from now, I'm going to arrive at my dream. And I'm going to go after this. And I'm going to go after him. And I'm going to go over after that. And, and in the middle of it all, God who is the master potter, looked at you and said, there's something I'm not happy with. Oh, I've spotted something in you. Oh, I know you look good. I know you think you've arrived. I know you had some plans, but I'm God and I'm showing up and I'm about to remove some things off of you. I'm about to remove some things out of you. There's some relationships that are going to have to go. Oh, I know it seems like everybody's walking out of your life, but you got to trust me. I'm removing the right people out of your way. I'm removing the wrong jobs. I'm removing the wrong objectives. I'm removing the wrong opportunities because they are not beneficial for your destiny I'm taking you somewhere he is sovereign he has a master plan and he begins to redirect our steps that's a hard place to be God says what you don't understand is I'm the potter and you are the clay I have a plan and my plan is better than your plan my ways are better than your ways and if you'll just trust me in this process some of you need to get your hands off the process you're trying to make things work that God never intended to work you're trying to go a direction and God's saying it's the wrong direction I know it looks right and man thinks it's right and it sounds like a promotion and it has to be right because it makes sense on paper and God's saying that's not my way if you'll just stay in my hands I have a destiny for you that will blow your mind stay in my process Isaiah 45, 9, how can the clay question the potter? But we do. <laughs> the potter's in charge. Whatever the potter decides to do with that clay, there's nothing the clay can do about it. The clay is not in the position to call into question the one who is shaping them. Mm, you, we got to chew on that for a minute. How many of you ever questioned the process? And Jeremiah specifically says that there was something on the clay that wasn't right. Women of God, don't be surprised if you get this close, close to it and something happens. Don't be surprised if the door that you thought was opening suddenly closes. Don't be surprised because God says, I'm in charge of your destiny. And I see what you don't see. Keep trusting me in the process. My husband and I have been in ministry for about 28 years. We did 13 years of student ministry. Look at that. Bless our heart. <laughs> and then, oh, I love young people. To this day, I love young people. I love speaking to them. And then we've been pastors for about 15 years. And I can tell you, and everybody in this room has a story of the seasons where we thought God was taking us in a certain direction. Oh, this looked good. I mean, according to the church of God. I mean, this was like a move up. You know what I'm saying? And if you know Church of Godism, I mean, this had to be God. And we were moving with it. 
We were excited about it. We were making plans with it. And all of a sudden, right in the middle, everything was laid out, a starting salary, a time to start, when we were going to move. All of it was laid out. God said, no, that's not my plan. And boom, the door shut. Now, I'm going to tell you this. My fingers were in the door. I'm just going to give you a good illustration. My fingers were already through that door when he shut it. It broke me. It caught me hard. And God began to give me scripture. You know how he gives us scripture to try to help us? Oh, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are, oh, he, he spoke it plainly to me. But I didn't like it. And I cried. Anybody ever cried because God changed your path? Now, can I just be real with you? And I cried, God, why not? I don't get this, God. This doesn't even make sense. This was already done. This looked like the best thing. God said no. And then years went by. We, we, we did something different for the next five years. And then God uh, uh, moved us to this, basically back to that same place that we thought we were going to five years later. He, we went somewhere else five years. And five years later, he took us back there. And that didn't really make sense to me. I'm like, what in the world? And then my husband and I, we got there to that place where, you know, we wanted to be five years earlier. And God did great things. But then we kept making our plans. You know, sometimes we're slow. So once we got there, we had a new, you know, we had a new plan. And we, we come up with these plans. And then we had this new plan. And it was going to work. And this was going to be even great. And this was, you know, this was the one. And people had spoken prophetic words of us. And we tried to make it fit these situations. Is anybody in the room with me? And then God told us no again. And you know what I did? I cried. I laid on the bed at a general assembly. And I cried. And I was, I, God, I don't get it. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? When God says, I know you think you're going that way. And I know you think it sounds good. But if you'll just trust me in the process, what I'm doing is greater than what you think you're going to. So you got to trust me. And do you know that my husband and I would never be at Life Church Huntsville in Huntsville, Alabama if we'd have done any of those other things? We never saw this. We didn't even know that God was taking us to pastoring at that time. But God said, trust me in the process. I've got a plan for your life. And if you will just follow me. And sometimes, ladies, it feels like you're following like this. You know, it's that walk by faith, not by sight. It's like, God, this don't make sense. This doesn't make sense, God. I don't get it, God. And he said, just trust me, Amy. Just trust me. I've got you. Somebody today needs to throw up your hands and say, I trust you, God. I don't see the full picture. I don't get the whole plan. But I trust you, God. Secondly, pain is part of the process. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, if you are going to reach your full potential, this is really going to encourage you. You will have to raise your capacity for pain. Sam Chan says it like this. You will only grow to the threshold of your pain. 
you will only grow to your threshold of pain. Your vision for the future has to be big enough to propel you to face heartaches and struggles that you're going to find along the way and keep believing that God's working it all out for your good. Listen, God loved David so much, David in the Bible, that he didn't want him to be a king until he had every semblance of fleshly authority beaten out of him. David had to wait something like 15 years to become king of Judah from the first time that he was anointed by Samuel. How many of you would have been throwing a fit two years after the anointing? It was another seven years before David was anointed king over Israel. This means that David waited over 20 years of his life to be made king. He was in the process of becoming who God had anointed him to be, but the process wasn't easy. We may not like it, but pain is a principle of the kingdom. Before God promotes us, he takes us through pain to purify our hearts, to deepen our dependence on him, and to impart spiritual wisdom. As much as we would love to push the fast forward button, rushing the process to relieve ourselves from the pain can actually do more harm than good. We get in the way, ladies. Do you know what I pray almost every day? Lord, don't let me stand in the way of the destiny you have for me. Oh, God, don't let me, don't let me try to shortcut it, trick it, manipulate it. Don't let me be the issue. And if you try to numb your pain, then go, and get God to give you relief before the desired time, we're going to miss out on the process of being molded, prepared, and strengthened for what's ahead. We'd be robbed of completeness. Here's what you have to understand about the process. First of all, when you're going through it, he's purifying you. For clay to be usable, it has to go through a purifying process. The air must be forced out. This takes some crushing for the cleansing process. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I want you to note this. If the clay does not go through the cleansing process, then when it goes through the fire... The firing process, it will explode, destroying itself and things around it. Chew on that for a minute. And then we see when we're going through the process, he takes us through a centering time. Clay must be centered on the potter's will to be used. If the clay is not centered, then it will flop around. It doesn't have a goal. It's, you've seen people, they, have, they just have no plan for the future. They, they're just flopping from this thing to this thing to that thing. To, they're not centered on Christ Jesus. God is the one that brings centering into our life. And we find centering through consistent prayer and study of his word so that we draw closer to him. And then he begins to mold us. After the clay is centered, then it is prepared for the molding. One note here. The clay must be on a good foundation. This foundation is what makes it stable and sure. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Then the potter puts the clay on the wheel to form it. He puts one hand on the inside and the other hand on the outside. You saw that a minute ago. One hand holds and gives it its desired form while the other hand is on the outside smoothing and refining the curves in it. What is the lesson that we need to learn, Amy? God's got his hand on your outside while he's working on your inside. He's got his hands on your inside to keep you stable, to keep you centered. But he's still working some kinks out on the outside so that people won't see all your frailties and your fragility. He's fixing me on the inside so he can handle me on the outside. There's some stuff he has to do in here before he can ever put me out there. There are some stuff that he wants to give me on the outside so that people can see my blessing. But he can't see people. He can't give it to me on the outside until he does something to me on the inside. Can I tell you ladies, there's so many people that say, oh I want to be like her. Oh I want to be like him. I want to preach like that. I want to sing like that. I want to pastor that church. And God says, can you handle it? Because you don't know the cost that that person went through to get to that place. Listen, he said, I've got to do something on the inside before I can ever bring you out. Before I can ever show it on the outside. See, God's working on my inside because he's preparing me. He's not done with Amy McGlamry. This is the work of the potter. Shaping us, molding us. It is up to the creator about our unique shape. And can I tell you, stop working about somebody else's shape you know what I've learned all God called me to be is the best Amy McGlamry I could be and that's enough and some of you are so bogged down with with, uh, comparing yourself to others with low self-esteem and it's an insult to your maker if he molded you and made you and put his breath on you stop saying what's wrong with you And start letting him just continue the work that he has started. And then there comes the detailing. After the shaping, the details are made. God knows what our calling and our purpose is. God knows who we are to be and who we need to be. And I love Jeremiah 29, 11. We can all quote it. For I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to bless you, not to harm you. I'm going to give you a hope and a future. God can turn your pain, pressure, crushing, pressing into something wonderful. And he's using it all as part of the process. And then thirdly, don't shortcut the process. If you shortcut the process, I want you to get this. You'll short circuit the product. I'm going to say it for you again. If you shortcut the process, you short circuit the product. 1 Peter 4, 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as though it's something strange that's happening to you. Just when you think you're done. Now, I've gone through all the, I've I've already talked you through it. He's centered me. He's molding me. He's shaping me. He's giving me details. And I think I'm about done. Surely now, God, I'm ready. I am ready. I've been through this. I've been through this. And I'm looking good. God's doing amazing things. Surely, surely I'm ready. Just when you think you're done comes the drying and the firing. This is what what makes the pottery last. Without this, the clay becomes breakable 
and unusual, uh, unusable. Firing is what brings strength to this. So it gets you properly made. You look good. The details are there. You got your own unique shape. I'm good. I love Jesus. I'm, I feel like I'm doing things right. I'm reading his word. I'm praying. And then he puts you in the oven. Now, the oven is necessary, but it is not fun. Any potter worth his salt understands the importance of the oven. It doesn't matter how good it looks on the outside. It doesn't matter how good it sounds. If it doesn't go through the burning, it will never be complete. The clay has to be dried out and then placed in the furnace at a blazing 2,400 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, maybe you say, Amy, I did start going to church. I've changed. I did let go of that relationship that God wanted me to let go. I, I quit hanging out in the wrong places, Amy. I, I, I tried to forgive that person. I, I'm allowing God to work on me. But then there comes this whole other event, this whole other stage. After he started you and he molded you and he saw some stuff on you he didn't like and he remade you and he removed stuff and he moved habits and he moved people and he moved desires. And now you say, why does it feel like I'm going through pain, havoc, and hurt? And you see this as a very bad place. Anybody like the fire? Put your hands down. You don't like the fire. Yeah. But it's, you see it as a very bad place. But you ought to rejoice because this means you're going through the oven. And can I tell you, ladies, something? When you come out of the oven, oh, you're going to even be better than you were. When you come out of the night, you ever heard the story? We all use this in church about crushing of the olives to breathe forth the oil. And we talk about all these things where God has to crush to blossom. And that's exactly what he's doing with us when he puts us in the oven. Four things that he's going to do for us in the oven. Get ready. The fire continues to remove our impurities. The temperature has to be so hot that the impurities will be burned out of the clay and it creates a new bonded surface. See, there's some stuff in me that nobody else sees. There's some impure things. There's some things the potter doesn't like. And there's some things that if he's going to propel me forward, he's got to deal with right now. So he puts me in the fire because unless you go through the fire, you will not be purified. And then number two, the fire hardens the vessel. So when God brings you into the promise, you're going through the fire. Then when the devil comes at you, well... With the same things he's coming with you for years. You're not good enough. What about your past? What are people going to say? Now all of a sudden, sudden you're in the fire. And that fire begins to harden you. And all of a sudden you're like, devil, you're going to have to come at me with more than that. Because I know who I am. I know what God says about me. The fire is strengthening me. The fire is making me stronger. It's making me braver. It's making me more courageous. You see, during the fire process those tiny molecules of the vessel fuse together to become as solid as a rock oh people used to say stuff about you and you go crying and pouting and depressed for days or friends walked out of your life and your whole world would fall pastor's wife's in the room members used to leave you 
and you thought it was the end of the world and you spent weeks mourning over it and evaluating what you didn't do right. And God said, when I put you through the fire, you begin to trust me more. You become tougher. And then it begins, okay, God, if you didn't want them in my church, I don't know why, but I'm moving forward. You'll give me the right people at the right place at the right time. I trust the potter. Maybe your family betrayed you and you felt maybe you had a marriage and somebody left you and walked out. God says, when I begin to put you through this firing process, you're going to become, you're not going to fall apart over everything that happens in your life or in this world. See, I've been through the storm and I've been through the rain. I've been through the fire and I've been through the flood. I'm tougher. I'm stronger. I'm wiser. I'm more anointed. I know who I am. Something changes when you've been in the fire. And then thirdly, it beautifies the vessel. You thought you were cute before. You thought you were talented before. You look good. Oh, you haven't seen the finished product yet. Oh, you were a nice shape, but then you came out of the oven. Oh, God just brought me out of something. And now I like myself. I'm happy with myself. And if you don't like me for who God created me, it's okay because God likes me. I'm his daughter. I know who I am. He is with me to accomplish his special purpose in my life, through my life. And the more we reinforce our identity in Christ, the more fortitude we have to stand against opposing voices in our life I'm going to give you a small little tip just some information here people always have something to say they're always going to talk about you they're always going to evaluate you. They're always going to have something to say. You have to know who you are. You have to know who the God in you is. And you have to be okay with it. I'm going through and I'm coming out better. And then the fire lightens the vessel. It lightens. I went through the fire. The potter worked on me. I'm brighter now. I'm grown. I'm not the same. The refining process was a way for God to prepare me to shine more like him. People begin to recognize a change in you. And they'll say, you're not the same Amy. You're not the same Leah. You're, what, what in the world happened to you? You don't seem like the same person I, I used to know. You're the, listen, here you go. You ready for it? The fire you're walking through isn't going to kill you. It's setting you up for the more of God. That's a promise. So you can't shortcut the process. You can't shortcut. You have to allow the Lord to take you to a whole other level in him. And the fire is part of that process. And then lastly, my last point, the process prepares us for the promise. The process prepares us for the Isaiah 60, 22. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. I have found that during those times of waiting, God prepares us for his promise. Listen, ladies, we see waiting as negative. We don't like it when it seems like nothing is happening. We want God to give us the roadmap and give us A, B, C, and then we'll go along with the process. We're interested in the destination, but God is interested in the process that he's working on us the whole way.
See, during the, our waiting, he's teaching us things. He's growing our character, our faith, our ability. He, he, we view this as pain. We view, view the tribulation, the hardship, the disappointment that we feel. But God says, if you begin to see it as a preparation for my promise, then it changes everything. Oh, God, I know I just went through that fire. I know I just went through that battle. But you're setting me up for something. Anybody ever get that in your spirit? Even this week. I felt like the enemy was making his jabs and I told my husband something good's coming something good's coming you don't feel this kind of opposition without knowing that God's about to do something in our lives listen it's all part of the process God knew that some things needed to happen in King David's life before he could be the king likewise why is there some things that need to happen in our life before we can fully step into what God has for us David had to prepare if he never mastered the leer, he would have never been chosen to play for Saul, and Saul wouldn't have been familiar with him. If he had never killed the lion and the bear, Saul would have never let him face Goliath, and the Israelites wouldn't have accepted David as king. If David didn't prepare, he would have squandered the opportunity and missed the promise, but he did prepare. And it led him to becoming the king. See, you may be in a season of waiting tonight. Maybe you've been waiting for a long time. And you've started to wonder if God will ever bring the promise to pass. But at the right time, ladies, it's coming. It's coming. Let your faith be strengthened tonight. Know that God is preparing you today for what he wants to do in your future. He's teaching you to trust him, to be bold in your faith. He's growing your character. He's fine-tuning your gifts. You have to trust the potter in the process somebody say I'm in the process you know metaphorically we know that the wheel represents life round and round it goes the potter represents God the father the clay represents you and I and the oven represents the trials the problems the difficulties ladies even this year I was on a streak I was preaching. I was doing these ladies' conferences. God was moving. I was feeling good about it. You know, it just seemed like God was just really using me and doing some things. And then I came off the road in April, end of April. The doctor wanted to do a surgery on me. I, I don't even like hospitals. Can I just be honest? So they had to kind of do some convincing for me. But they promised me I was just going to feel like a new person. That this really needed to be done. And this was going to really help my life. So... I finally got to the point where I felt like I needed it. It was it for my health. I needed it so I could keep traveling, keep going. So I went and had the surgery. Uh, a few weeks recovery. I cleared my calendar for May because my husband said, it may be a few weeks, but I want you just to rest, May. I want to make sure you're good. We're, we're going to be fine. I came home from this surgery after a day in the hospital. Five days later, I wasn't getting better. I was getting worse. I started running fever, started having pain in my abdomen, uh, just things that were warning signs, the Holy Spirit. I tried to just wait it out and go to bed and just wait, but the Holy Spirit prompted me, do something, get up, do something. So I called the, the nurse on call. She said, get to the emergency room right now. I get to the emergency room. Uh, they run their tests and check me out. I'm just, I'm like praying, God, please don't let this be any, you know how we do. And I'm a scripture quoter and, you know, I do all of that. And they come in the room after several hours and they say, Amy, you have a, 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 an abscess in your abdomen the size of a grapefruit. You're being admitted to the hospital. And then I want you to catch this. They said, 
we're going to put you on the labor and delivery floor. That's the, uh, I had a female doctor that did the surgery. That's where she would make her rounds. They wanted me there. So they pushed me up there. I'm, I'm flabbergasted. My husband had gone on a trip that I told him to go on because I thought I would be okay. My daughters were there. They were helping me. And I am floored because I trust the Lord. I'm just going to help somebody. I want you to follow me. I read his word. I prayed the right things. I said the right things. I prepared. God, I just came off the road from preaching. This is God. You're going to be with me. You're going to help me. This is going to be. And all of a sudden, I'm in this room. I'm sick as a dog. I, I, I don't know what's going on. They're trying to explain it to me. They're saying stuff like, we don't ever see this happen. We've hardly ever seen anything like this in years. This, you know, and they're going, I'm like, that's not helping me. That's not helping me. Because then you're telling me this doesn't supposed to happen, so why is God allowing it? Can I just be real? And, and then they said, we've got to get you down. We've got to put a port in. We've got to start draining fluid off of you. We've got to run all these tests. We've got to see if it got the uh, infection got into your blood. We've got to check your organs. You know, and they're going crazy. They bring in a team of infectious disease doctors. And they're, you know, they're trying. It took them days to tell me what type of bacteria. They had to kick in another antibiotic. And, it, and there goes the I'm in there eight days doing all this. They're, my husband's saying, is this going to be long-term effects of that? He's trying to get to the bottom of what, you know, and they're giving you the best guess they can give at that point. I finally go home. They said, but you've got to go home with home health. You've got to have a pick line. You have to continue with antibiotics. We have to run some more blood work to check your organs again. And they're doing all this, and I go home. Now, I am not a sickly person. And for those of you in this room who have had cancer or struggled with major illness, I, I love you, and I am sorry for what you went through because I had never been through something like this. And God did give me a tenderness. I would sit in the hospital and cry for other people that I knew that were going through worse things than me because I never realized the feeling. And I would cry and I would cry and I would cry as they were pushing me down to put this uh, uh, drain in. They're pushing me down and I'm, I'm, I'm just bawling. I'll be honest with you. Y'all use that word up here. And this poor guy that's pushing me down, he looks at me finally and says, you're going to be all right. <laughs> you're and I'm going to tell you what I was saying. God, God I, got, I don't feel you. I don't feel you in this, God. Where are you? They get all this in. My husband gets there, where, you know, and I keep breaking down crying. I'm sorry. I'm a baby, I guess. I've just never gone through anything like this. And I finally looked at my husband. I said, you don't understand what I'm saying. I said, you are a wonderful husband and you would never do anything to hurt me. And my dad was a wonderful dad and I feel like he would never do anything purposely to hurt me. And sometimes that's how I see God. I was preaching at myself, actually, if I'd have just listened. I trust God. I trusted him with this surgery. Why? I don't understand this. So my husband, being the preacher, starts giving me my sermons. Aren't you thankful for other people that help you when you're weak? And he begins to say, Amy, you're not thinking. Think of the Bible. Look at those men and women. Do you think it was easy? What about Job? He lost everything. And he starts giving me, you know, the one-on-one of Bible. And I'm like, I know, but I trusted him. So I'd get in the bed. And I'm weak. And listen, I'm a, I do these fight nights in my church. I'm all about battle. But when you're sick, when you're hurting, when you don't understand what's going on, whoo, it's hard. So I knew what to do. 
because I told my women that when you feel too weak to fight, have other people fight for you. So I look over at my husband. I said, put on worship music. Now I'm laying here crying, sweating off fevers, sleeping, but I need you to fill this room with worship the whole entire day. I'd wake up to it. I'd go to sleep with it. I'd wake up, and he just kept playing worship music, sitting over there praying. And then at night, I remember one of the first nights we started going to sleep, I said, Kevin, pray out loud, pray out loud. He said, Amy, I've been praying all day. I said, doesn't matter. I need you to pray out loud. What was I doing? I needed somebody to battle for me. And I needed to hear it. Of course, my church was, anyway, God got me to the other side. I got home. I, I got through it all. You know, it didn't come back. The bacteria didn't come back. I made it. It wasn't in my blood. God did miraculous things. It took me a while to recover. I had to cancel some things because I was very weak. And I, it took me a long time to feel like Amy again. Anybody ever been there? To, yeah. But through all of that, I was smart enough after I started getting better to start saying, God, what were you trying to say to me? Because the Bible says all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, I knew I was called. I knew I loved God. So if he allowed that for whatever reason to happen, when it, I looked it up, 1% to 2% of women have, the, have had this happen after that surgery. I knew God was doing something in Amy. Now I want to take you back to the fact I was on a birthing floor. Every time a baby was being born on that floor, lullaby music would fill my room. Ladies, I don't have all the answers for the things you've been through. All I know is that sometimes even after you think that you've gone through everything you could go through and God's hands on you and you're doing everything right. See, this is where my theology I had to work through. Even though we trust him, even though we're close to him, even though he's a loving God and we're quoting his scripture, there comes times that he says, I got to take you through the fire again because I'm doing a new thing and I'm birthing something new in you and I'm birthing something new through you. And though you look right, though you sound right, I'm not done yet. There is more. And when I came out on the other side of that, my father passed away. That's a whole nother story. But I got to the place through that whole season. It was a tough summer where this is what I knew. Devil, you're going to be sorry you mess with me. You're going to be sorry that you try to take my praise. Now, listen, I believe God, I, whoever calls it, it just happened. God was teaching me. I believe that. But I also believe that the enemy, when you're down like that, he works on you. Oh, you're never going to be the same. Oh, you're done. You're never going to be able to preach like you once did. You might as well. You know what I'm saying? And I began to get a fire in my bones that said, God, when you get me through this, I will preach the gospel on, like my coattails on fire. I'll do whatever I got to do because I have a mandate on my life. The enemy ain't taking me out. He's not shutting me down. He's not stopping me. And even when my father died, I said, okay, I'll pick up the mantle. My dad was a minister. I'll pick up the mantle. And for what the enemy stole from my dad, I'm moving forward and taking it back because there is a process I've been through. And I didn't go through that process to squirm. 
squander it. I didn't go through that process to fall down and not get back up. I didn't go through that process to quit. I went through that process because the potter loves me. And he said, there's something in Amy McGlamry that I'm not done with yet. So this is going to hurt, but I'm going to allow it. This isn't going to be good, but I'm going to allow it. But I'm going to be with her all the way through that valley of the shadow of death. And then when I bring her out, if she'll listen to me, if she'll seek my face, if she'll humble herself before me, I will do greater still after the fire. Will you stand with me? The master potter sent me here to tell someone I'm doing something you can't see and understand right now. But trust me in the process. I have a plan for your life. I'm birthing something new in you. It's greater than you can imagine. I know your weaknesses. I know your defects. But God says you're something different than your defects. Something far more than your flaws. Before you were born, I knew everything about you, God is saying to us tonight. And that didn't stop him from calling your name and setting you apart. He placed you on the earth at a certain time for a predecided purpose. And just as clay finds its highest purpose when it remains pliable in the hands of the potter, so our lives will fulfill the highest purpose when we let the potter have his way. Ladies, when God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Oh, I'm in the process, but God knows what he's doing. I asked the praise team to help me with something. I read this story. We're going to sing and then we're going to go to the altar. I read this story about the woman that wrote, Have Thine Own Way. It's an older song. I'm taking you back. But she wrote this in 1902. Her name was Adelaide Pollard. She had served the Lord faithfully. She felt called to be a missionary to Africa. But she couldn't get the funds raised. She was having trouble getting the money. She lacked financial support. She was discouraged. She was in distress. She thought, God, you called me to this, and yet there's no resource. So she went to a prayer meeting at a church. And as she was at this prayer meeting, there was an elderly woman in the room praying out loud. And the woman began to say, it really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have your own way in our lives. She went home and she began to meditate on Jeremiah 18, 1 through 3, the potter shaping the clay. And before retiring for the night, she wrote all four stanzas. We're only going to sing one. All four stanzas to the beloved hymn, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, and I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded still. Guys, help me. We're going to sing. If you know it, sing it with us.
you're in this room tonight and you say, Amy, I understand that he's the potter. And I'm hearing you say that I'm clay and I'm supposed to be in his hands. But I don't have right relationship with the Lord. I'm not in right fellowship with him. You may have once known, known him or maybe you've never met him before. You've never confessed him as Savior. He's in this room today. And he's saying, I created you for a purpose. I created you with a plan. You're beautiful to me because you're mine. And if you're here and you just say, I need to get back in his hands. I need to make sure that things, listen, beginning of the year, the Lord began to speak to me. There's sin in the church, Amy. There's sin in the church. The reason we're not seeing some of the things that the last day said we would see is because God is needing to clean some things up and it's got to start here. So I'm going to tell you everywhere I'm going, the first thing I'm doing is salvation. I, I was in one place in, in North Carolina, 40 women in one service that said, I'm not right with the Lord. Again, I may look the part. I can say the right thing, but there's sin in my life. If you're in this room and you say, Amy, I need to make it right right here tonight, I want you to raise your hand. I've got to make it right with the master. I want to put my, yes, I see your hand. I want to get right with him. Listen, I'm not a, we're so long in the church, we're worried what everybody thinks. You know what? We're too close to his coming to worry what somebody thinks. If I raise my hand, rejoice. Because that means I need to get in the right place with my life. So I'm going to ask one more time. If you're in this room and you know there is sin in your life or you're, you've gotten away from the potter, you're not in right relationship and you need him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, life, raise your hand. Right here, raise your hand. Go ahead. I see your hand. Yes. Four, five, six. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Seven. Yes. I see eight. Yes. Nine. I see you. Yes. Praise God. Praise God. First thing we're going to do, ladies, is we're going to all pray this together. We're just going to start right there. We're going to make sure we're right. Because listen, when the potter starts, he's got to get the impurities out to take you further. And that's where we're starting. I want you to repeat after me. Okay? I want you all to bow your head and pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I, ask you I ask you to forgive me, to forgive me of, all my sin. of all my sin. I am in need of a Savior. I'm in need of a savior. And Jesus, you are that Savior. Jesus, you are that savior. And I need you to fill me I need you to forgive me. And I need you to continue to mold me and make me. After your will. And now I confess you. As the Lord and Savior of my life. It's a new day. It's a new season. And I rejoice in you. In Jesus mighty name I pray. Amen and amen. Can we rejoice for these nine people that raised their hand and said, I got to get it right. I got to get it right. Amen. Amen. So thankful. Now, here's the 